right, this morning we're on part seven of the overall theme, Preparation for Revival. And this morning I want to look at just two words, humble yourselves, humble yourselves, humble yourselves. And I know it's been quoted a lot lately, but I believe it's one of the key verses that the Lord is speaking to the church in America as a nation at this time. And it's that familiar verse, if my people, my people, if my people who are called after my name will humble themselves. The first thing that they're told to do is to humble themselves. Four things they're told to do, and then if they do those four things, God gives three promises. And it says, if my people who are called after my name will humble themselves and then and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repentance, then if we meet those four conditions, God says he will hear our prayer, he will forgive our sin, and he will heal our land. He will heal our land. And we certainly need America to be healed. Now, it's very interesting, too, the context of that verse, the context of that verse, because 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is written just after, immediately after the t temple of Solomon has been dedicated. And when the temple of Solomon was dedicated, you know, the glory of God came. The glory of God came when it was dedicated. And it was interesting that, you know, that we were, that uh, song that um, Elizabeth, you know, led this morning about his glory is coming, his glory is coming. I mean, it, it is coming. And his glory had, that verse, the context of that verse was the glory at the dedication of the temple of Solomon. All the priests were ministering to the Lord. The glory of God fell. They were not able even to stand up, and they fell down on the floor all, all around and were, 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 were slain you know, under the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord came down when that temple was dedicated. The Lord came down. His glory literally came. That literal glory came. Now, also, another thing that's significant, and we find it in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 2, is that at the time of the dedication of the feast of, at the time of the dedication of the Temple of Solomon, that was the, it was in the seventh month, the, the month Ethanim in the Hebrew. And that month, the seventh month, was the time when they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the greatest feast of the year. It lasted for seven days, and it was a time when they rejoiced because the harvest came in. So it's, it's spiritually, you know, we are, we, we've, we've had the fulfillment of Passover. We've had the fulfillment of Pentecost. But we have not yet had the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. But it, we're right on the verge. We're right on the brink. And the Feast of Tabernacles, the fulfillment of that, 
is when revival comes, when there's great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when the glory of God is manifest, and when a great harvest of souls is brought into the church, when restoration, backsliders, uh, turn back again to the Lord. So the context of this scripture in 2 Chronicles 7.14 is very, very significant, very sig significant. And in verse 12, it's in verse 12 there, the Lord appeared to Solomon. The Lord actually came and the Lord appeared to Solomon. And then in verse 13 of 2 Chronicles 7, verse 13, it tells there, there, if I shut up heaven and there be no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, and Verse 13, the last part. Or if I send pestilence among my people. And that is what we've been experiencing over recent months, that there's been much pestilence. There's been the pandemic. There's been the coronavirus. We've had, you know, millions have caught this virus. And, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have, have died of this virus worldwide. And the very last, the last six, seven words before 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, if my people will humble themselves, is the verse about the, is the words about the a virus. If I send pestilence or plague, pandemic, among my people. And then it says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. So, in verse 14, there are four conditions, four conditions that God's people must do. And really, I believe that the church in America, the church in America, if we obey, if the church in America does what God says in this verse, you know, America can be saved. America can be, can be changed. America will see revival. America will see great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there's a tremendous responsibility, tremendous. Now, we believe in the sovereignty of God, but there's also the free choice of man, man's responsibility. And here is a verse in verse 14 where it's speaking about man's responsibility. Or in other words, our part. What is our part to play in the, this whole equation? And in verse 14, it says, if the first one, if my people which are called by my name. So it's speaking about the people of God, Christians, believers. If they will do four things, and the one we're looking at this morning is they will humble themselves. Humble themselves. So God wants each of us to humble ourselves and to cry out to God that the vitally important virtue of humility is developed in our lives. Really, really, humility is the hallmark of a Christian. It should be the hallmark of every spiritual leader. Isaiah 55, 57, and verse 15. You know, beautiful scripture about those who the Lord is pleased to dwell with. And God wants each of us to humble ourselves, cry out to him, and, and verse 15, 
Isaiah 57. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. That's an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement. We're speaking about the creator of the universe. And Louisa just took that little watermelon as a type of the earth. And this earth that we are living on, when we compare it to the universe, I mean, the universe, scientists are, are just find there's more and more galaxies, things just go on and on and on and on. And th this earth which we live on, planet Earth, where we live, here in one of the countries on planet Earth, United States of America, it's just like a grain of sand. It's just like a grain of sand amongst all, you think of the sand, of all the oceans, of all the beaches, in every country all over the world. Think of that as, you know, the, the universe. And it's one little grain of sand which represents the earth that we are living in. I mean, God is so vast. God is so great. God is so mighty. And, and to think, I mean, just to, just to think that a holy God, a holy God, and it says, I dwell in the high and the holy place. God, he is holy. He dwells in the high and holy place. But it says, he dwells with him or with her, with you and me. If we have a contrite and a humble spirit. And isn't that just incredible that the God of the universe, the God who put the universe together, the heavens and the earth and the stars, how not only he knows us, not only that, but he loves us. Not only that, but he died for us. Not only that, but he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to have our his abode with us. He wants, he wants a relationship with us. Isn't that incredible? Isn't it? I mean, it's just amazing. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Psalm 51 and verse 17. David, this is David's repentant psalm, or one of them. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And we need to pray that the Lord will work within us contriteness, humility. And we, we should be praying. And I, I'm praying because I realize my lack. But pray for true brokenness and lowliness so that we are aware, we're aware when we look at ourselves that, you know, we are nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing. We can't do anything of eternal value in our own strength. Anything we are in God, it's only by the grace of God. And who does God give grace to? God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. 
So we need to pray for true brokenness and lowliness so that we're aware of our own nothingness and our total dependence upon him. Isaiah 66 and verse 2. But to this man will I look. God will look. God will notice. God will be aware. God's eyes will be upon. To this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. So here the Lord repeats the qualifications of being able to dwell with the living God. Having a poor and a contrite spirit and holding his word in holy reverence. Louisa just mentioned about, you know, having a reverence for the Lord. Isaiah here says, having, holding his word, his word. Of course, he is his word. Jesus is the living word. He is the embodiment of the scriptures, the written word. And so having a poor, contrite spirit and holding his word in holy reverence. So if we ask, well, what, what is humility? Well, I think we can all work out that humility is the opposite of pride. So it's everything that pride is not. And basically, humility is complete, not partial, but complete and utter dependence upon God. Matthew 5, 3, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was the first beatitude Jesus gave, the very first one, number one. And that is some of the, the choice teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the spiritual condition speaks of a, it speaks of a holy brokenness before the Lord. It is an attitude produced deep within our hearts that we are nothing. And, and like a beggar, as a beggar, we cringe before the Holy One of God. And this is the attitude we should have before God, depending on Him for everything. You know, a true beggar, you know, there's, in India there's many false beggars. They just, you know, they, they pretend they're poor and they go out and they, they beg. But there are true beggars. And a true beggar is grateful for every little crumb that is given. And humility is like that attitude of a slave to his master. He is nothing, he has nothing, and his whole life depends on the will, on the will of his master. There was a vision that Pastor Bailey had, and... In Revelation 21 and verse 2, it speaks of the, this is, this is after the millennium, and the millennium is the thousand years reign of Jesus upon this earth after Jesus comes back. But then after that, this earth and this, this, this earth, this heaven will pass away. And there'll be new heavens and new earth. And the Apostle John, 
in Revelation 21. He saw the new Jerusalem coming down from out of heaven, prepared as a bride for a husband. And in chapter 21 and verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And in this particular vision that Pastor Beatty had, he saw a, a huge amphitheater, huge amphitheater, and at the bottom was the throne, was the throne of God was at the bottom. And then it went up on this side, it went up on that side, it went up on this side, it went, went up on that side. And, you know, seemingly many, you know, multitudes of seats that are there. And the servants of God were there. And each one, as the servants of God came into this amphitheater, they were, or believers, you know, in the Lord, as they came, they were escorted by an angel to their seat. They couldn't just go sit where they wanted to, and some were right down at the bottom of the amphitheater, and they were seated near the throne of God. They were seated near the Lord. Others were you know, right up towards the top, and they were still there. It would have been a tremendous privilege to be there at all, but they were far away from the Lord Jesus. And so those who were down near the bottom, they were close to the Lord, and those were the ones who had the greatest humility. And those who were nearer the top, much further away from the Lord, had a lesser degree of humility developed in their lives. We could ask the question, you know, how near shall we be to the Lord? You know, we don't want to just make it to heaven by the skin of our teeth. No, we want to, as the Peter said, to have an abundant entry into the kingdom of God. And the question for our hearts, how near shall we be to the Lord? Now, humility, how, where does it begin? It begins with our thinking. Humility begins in our mind. In Colossians 3, verse 12, it says there, the scripture there says, put on humbleness of mind. Something you put on, like you, you put on a hat. And it says here, put on humbleness of mind. Put on humbleness of mind. Humility, humility begins in our mind and in our thought life. And God wants our minds to be transformed. You know, Romans 12, verse 2 says our minds are transformed and they're transformed by the word of God so that we have the, the mind of Christ. And in Acts chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul was on his third missionary journey and on his way back to Jerusalem, he stopped over at Ephesus and the elders came and joined him and he had a meeting with those elders from the church at Ephesus. And he spoke to them. And he was giving his testimony how he'd served the Lord in, in their midst. In fact, he was there for three years altogether. And he says in verse 19, Acts 20, 19, serving the Lord, how did he serve the Lord? With all humility of mind. 
Now, it wasn't just with all humility, but it says with all humility of mind. Our mind, his thinking, his thoughts. Humility, humility relates. You know, sometimes people you know, appear outwardly to be very humble, but often they're not. And other people sometimes, sometimes people are, are sometimes, you know, brash and, and, thing, and, and we think that they're proud, but no, they're not. They're very humble. I mean, David was, you know, when David heard, you know, who is this Philistine that's going to challenge the name of the Lord God? And, uh, you know, his brother just accused him, go home, and he was full of pride. No, he wasn't full of pride. He believed what God had said. So humility, you can't just judge that by outward appearances. You know, God sees the heart, and God sees what the mind is, and God thinks what we're thinking in our mind. And humility begins in our mind and our thought life. And God, as our mind is changed by the word of God, you know, we have the mind of Christ. And the more we have the mind of Christ, the more humility will be manifest in our life. So humility relates to what we are thinking about ourselves. Humility is an attitude of mind. It does not argue. It does not fight. It does not resent situations, but instead it sees God in those situations. And God is working all things together for good. And, you know, about the virus and everything we're having and all the new rules and regulations and everything, I mean, it doesn't achieve anything just complaining and moaning about it all. But we just need to see God in it and to do what we're requested to do and trust God that, you know, he'll... Bring us through in his time. But humility, it begins in our mind. And humility, it's so important because it is the key to unity. And it seems that when God sends revival, he waits first to bring us into unity. On the day of Pentecost, you know, they, they, were, they were, God brought them together for those 10 days to work in their lives so that they would put things right and so that they forgive one another and so and to bring them into a position of unity. And so humility is the key to unity. And without unity, I don't believe we're going to have real revival. There must be unity for the Spirit of God to move. Acts 1.14, those all continued with one accord in prayer, with one accord, they were united, one heart, one mind. Acts 2 verse 1, on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. In other words, there was a unity. Because there was a unity, the Holy Spirit fell, revival came, 3,000 souls got saved that day. And, you know, humility is necessary to have unity with others. Because unless we have the humility of heart to prefer others before ourselves, we're going to strive with each other. And this is a, it, it's, you know, you can't, we can't just do it ourselves. It's a divine grace. I mean, and, you know, I'm crying out to God that God will work this out in my life. And I pray that you will be crying out to God that he will work it out in your lives. And... God will bring us into a tremendous oneness and a unity and one accord. And 
That is what prepares the way for the Spirit of God to move powerfully. Otherwise, without that, we're going to strive with one another. That's why Paul writes to the Philippians, Philippians 2 verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. In other words, selfish ambition, selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, lowliness or humility of mind. Again, we see the mind there, humility of mind. In our thoughts, let us each esteem other better than ourselves. Let us esteem our brother or sister better than ourselves, better than we are. Pride will cause us to think, pride will cause us to think we are better than others. But humility of mind enables us to prefer one another before ourselves. Now, just a few keys for developing humility. We don't want to just hear about it. We want, by the grace of God, we want it to be developed in our life. It doesn't just happen overnight. You can't just lay hands on someone and say, receive humility right now in Jesus' name. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. But some keys. Number one, pray and ask God for humility, humility of mind. And it's not just a one-off prayer. It's a good prayer to pray daily. Pray that. Pray and ask God to con- and continue to asking him. Work out humility in my life. Number two, ask the Lord for a revelation of what we are. Now, we can say that, you know, apart from God, we are nothing, we can do nothing. And a lot of people say that, and they know that in their mind. But somehow in their lives, it doesn't work out like that. Then they think, you know, that they can do a lot for the kingdom of God, and they can do this, and they can do that. But when we think of eternity and eternal value, you know, only what's born of God is going to count, is going to last. So we need to... We need to receive not just a knowledge in our mind, but a revelation in our spirit that apart from God, we are nothing and can do nothing of eternal value. Then humility can be worked out. Also, number three, humility comes by the experiences of life. And often humility is developed through major trials, That's what happened to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. Remember the way the Lord led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you. The first thing that's mentioned that got for God's purpose in leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, what was it first to do? To humble you, to prove you and know what is in your heart. So in the midst of they they were not content with what God gave them in the trial. They were not content with manna each day. They complained, they murmured, they criticized against God. Now, we're, some of us are facing a, a trial in a certain way with all this you know, pandemic and so on, but it's, 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 a, lot, it's a lot less severe than you know, the children of Israel had. And we must have the right attitude in a trial 
and allow the Lord to humble us? Will we be content with whatever the Lord gives us in the wilderness? The children of Israel were not. And another key for humility is don't, don't compare, don't compare yourself with somebody else. Don't compare yourself with others. You know, some people think, well, if only I could sing like that, or if only I could do a children's church presentation like this, or, or, or whatever it might be. God has given everyone different gifts. And we, each of us have a different purpose. You know, the, the, the hand cannot say, well, I'm a hand. I'm far better than the foot. No. The hands, the purposes of God for the hand, the hand are very different than the purposes for the foot. And so it is foolish to compare ourselves with others. All right, number five. Another way we can develop humility is by humbling ourselves. You know, some things God will do. Some things regarding humility, God will do. But there's certain things that we can do. And in our verse for this morning, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, God's people, the first thing God told them to do was humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Psalm 35 and verse 13, we read of David, and it says, He humbled his soul with fasting. And fasting with a right attitude, you know, subdues the flesh, and, you know, often the spirit is drawn closer to the Lord. By humbling ourselves. How else? How, what are some other ways we're humbling ourselves? We humble ourselves when we, when we acknowledge, I was wrong. I was wrong. And sometimes it's hard to do that when we've maybe been in some conflict with somebody else or, or, or disagreement, and to go to them and say, I was wrong. We, that doesn't come natural. We've got to humble ourselves to do that. In other words, we've got to acknowledge our sin. We're not going to be free for our, from our sin if we don't acknowledge it. We must acknowledge our sin. We must confess our sin. We must be sorry for our sin. We must be willing to forsake our sin. And also, another way we humble ourselves is by accepting the punishment of our disobedience. And it speaks about that in Leviticus 26 and verse 41. You know, King David, he committed adultery, he committed murder, and he came to God. And there was genuine repentance, there was true repentance, and God forgave him. And God did not only forgave him, but God restored him. And he again became the king over, king over the land. I mean, amazing. He'd fallen so low, and then God brought him up to be king again. And... But there were many judgments in David's life. And he had to accept those judgments that came on his life, even though he was forgiven, even though God restored him. And so Leviticus 26 speaks about accepting the punishment of our disobedience. And also, another way of humbling ourselves is by the way we submit to the authority over us. You know, the, centur the centurion and the servant who came to Jesus, he said, Lord, you, you don't need to come to my house. Just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. 
He said, I'm under authority. You know, I say to one man, do this, and he does it. Go there, and he, he come here, and he comes. Do, do this, and he does it. And he was under authority. He had authority. And so as humility is developed in our lives, we receive, we receive more grace. God gives grace to the humble. And the greater the measure of humility that is developed, the greater degree of grace we will receive from the Lord. And it's by, Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's only by the, not in ourselves, it's only by the grace of God that we can accomplish what God has ordained for us in this life and the things that God wants us to do. And, you know, God gives grace. 1 Peter 5 verse 5, God gives grace to the humble. And in God's time, he will lift us up. He will exalt us. James 4 and verse 10. So by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I want to encourage you to pray. And I want to encourage you to pray. Pray every day this week. Every day this week. If you can pray that God will develop humility. God will develop humility in your life. One of the famous verses in, in the book of Micah, Micah 6 and verse 8, and it says, this is what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What God requires, and this is what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to walk humbly, to, to, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, God, Lord, we, we are in such a needy land at, the, at this time. Oh, God, Lord, as we look at the country, as we look at America, we see the sin, we see corruption, we see the darkness, we see the evil. And, oh, God, Lord, our cry, heal our land, heal our land, heal our land, bring revival to our land. Oh God, without revival, oh God, without revival, our land will not be healed. Oh God, Lord, we pray, oh God, that you would speak to each one here this morning. Lord, we all have a part to play. Lord, we are, because we are your people, we're your people. You're our Heavenly Father. We are your children. And Lord, you said, if my people, my people who are called after my name will humble themselves. And Lord, we pray, Lord, help us by an act of our will. Give us grace that we would choose to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves, to take the low place not just to defend our rights or proclaim how great we are or good we are, but, oh God, we would humble ourselves. We would humble ourselves in your sight. Lord, in those amazing verses in Isaiah, Lord, you said that you dwell 
that you live, that you make your abode even with those who are humble, with those who have a humble and a contrite spirit. Lord, we pray that you would work in each of our lives, work humility in our minds, in our thinking. And oh God, Lord, we pray, Lord, that, Lord, that you would just develop, Lord, this precious character quality in our lives so that even, even others, even family members and others and friends, Lord, would see this, this beautiful characteristic. Oh, God, would see humility in our lives. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And Lord, we pray, just seal these thoughts to each of our heart. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you as the musicians come.